Uh, I'm Pastor Rich. For those of you that don't know me, maybe you're new to the church. My wife Mimi is close by. I don't know where she went to. Uh, Last week when I shared the message, I, I talked about how several have said to us, oh, are you new here? And I had to chuckle about that. Um, yeah, we've been coming here for 20 years, so glad to, glad to see all the wonderful faces that have been coming into the church, particularly uh, after COVID. I'm going to start out with a uh, quick passage here that does not relate um, actually to the message. Uh, it comes from Acts chapter 2, and you know, there's a growing sense of the presence of the Lord in this place. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a move that comes uh, under Pastor John. And I want us to have that sense of expectation and readiness uh, in our hearts. And Alex really gave a very wonderful prophetic word. I hope you seized on it. That picture of the clay being dunked in water and God wanting to soften our hearts. Uh, That's a pre-revival preparation that God wants to bring to his people. And I was going to share on this passage as a message, but because of our Presbytery weekend, I had to pivot. But I do want to pray this as an opening prayer. In Acts chapter 2, when it talked about the day of Pentecost, the scripture says, Suddenly a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And uh, we talked about, we just prayed for Eileen in terms of winds of adversity, but we're talking about a completely different kind of wind coming into the house. And the thing that seized me was that this phrase, the wind came into a designated building. It came into a house. And I believe there's going to be drop zones that will come from the Holy Spirit where he is going to fill places of worship. And you're going to be able to go to those physical buildings and you're going to sense a tangible presence of the Lord. I believe this is one of those places God wants to do that. And so, Father God, we look to you right now, and we pray the Holy Spirit would come and fill this building from wall to wall, brick to brick, front to back, every seat. Lord, that when people come, they would send something unique and something special that can only come from you. Our cry, God, is that you would be glorified and that your Holy Spirit would move in the same way that it did with glory and power as in the early church. We give our time of preaching and listening to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as we lead up to uh, Presbytery Weekend, we're building our understanding of prophetic ministry. For those that weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to my message there. I shared several key foundations on the biblical basis and value of prophetic ministry. And as a quick reminder, from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, this is where we get this unique word, presbytery. Depending on how it's rendered in different translations, some translations actually use the word presbytery, which we're using to describe our weekend. That's actually an almost direct translation from the Greek, where the word there is presbyterian, like you hear Presbyterian church. But in the NIV, it actually talks about the functional meaning of presbytery, which is the council of elders. So Paul said, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery or the council of elders. So presbytery is not only a word that refers to a leadership position, but it also refers to a prophetic ministry model, which many of us, Lord willing, will experience in a couple weeks. Now, we should also note that this verse represents a wonderful shepherding conversation between Timothy and his pastor, the Apostle Paul. 
which highlights a key difference between the presbytery model and the prophetic conference model, which I think many people are accustomed to. In the presbytery model, your pastor and elders are here to hear the ministry that's over you. There's follow-up, reminders, accountability, along with your spiritual family here to support you. In contrast, in the conference setting, the speaker is not going to phone you up and say, Hey, remember that word that was spoken over you? Let's get together and see how you can walk in it. Thus, the prophetic seed that's planted in you in the local church model has a much better chance of succeeding and coming to fruition which is why God spoke the word to you in the first place. So to continue on in our preparation, I want to talk this morning about prophetic ministry and discipleship. And turn with me to John chapter 1. It's a story of Nathaniel. I'm going to read these verses to us. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. By the way, there's some of you that might be like, are wondering about the prophetic because you haven't seen it before. And there's going to be some members in the church are going to be like, you know what, come and see, just come and see it. And that would be my encouragement for you is in the same way that Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see. So Jesus, going on here in verse 47, saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So in this passage... We find Nathaniel sitting under a fig tree. But the problem is Nathaniel is not partaking of the figs that come from the tree. He's just sitting there. He's unengaged. He's passive. He's lethargic. But Nathaniel is about to get the jolt of his life, which I want to break down into four parts for us. So the first part is this prophetic encounter. Now, remember that in this story, Jesus is on the front end of his ministry. He's in the process of calling his 12 disciples. And Philip tells his good friend, Nathaniel, you've got to come and see this Jesus. He's the real deal. He's the one that we've been waiting for, the one that Moses and the prophets talked about. But Nathaniel is skeptical. He's not buying into Philip's excitement. And he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? which was a derogatory comment about Jesus' hometown. Well, it turns out Nathaniel had a good point. Nazareth was a small, poor town in the region of Galilee with only two to 400 people, as estimated by archaeologists. Think about that. That gives us a, a, a picture in our mind of where our Lord grew up, in a very small, rural, humble town with only two to 400 people. And so therefore, Nathaniel was quite skeptical. 
It wasn't like Jerusalem or Shiloh or Hebron, where the religious elite or politically powerful connected would come from. But because of his friendship with Philip, Nathanael reluctantly goes to see Jesus. And we read in verse 47 that as he's walking towards the Lord, Jesus gives Nathanael this short but powerful prophetic word. Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit or guile, depending on your translation. Now, as given to us in 1 Corinthians 12, this word is referred to as a word of knowledge, one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it represents a divine insight into Nathaniel's character, one that cannot be deduced or intuited or perceived by human ability. You know how when you meet someone, you, you get these certain vibes, you intuit certain things about them, you make conclusions maybe about their personality. This is beyond just that human intuition. This is the Holy Spirit giving Jesus inside information, intel, about who Nathaniel is. Now, we know that Jesus' words were not just a gracious greeting or a happy salutation because of how Nathaniel responds. It wasn't like Jesus said, good morning, and Nathaniel said back to him, good morning, Jesus. Something else is happening. No one had seen into Nathaniel like this, and no one had characterized him like this. Now, Nathaniel was indeed a man without guile. Now, there's a really important nuance here in the way that Jesus said this. Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He, Jesus calls out his ethnic background. He doesn't say, behold, a man in whom there's no deceit. Behold, an Israelite. And the Israelites were known as a people that were very canny and very shrewd and very strategic. You never go, want to go into war against the Jews. They just have a way about them, a design about them that is so strong. It goes all the way back to their father, Jacob, who was known for his keen dealings with people. So there's an ethnic characterization here that stands in contrast that Jesus is saying about Nathaniel. It'd be like if Jesus came to me and said, oh, a Chinese who prefers hamburgers over rice. <laughs> oh, okay, I get it now, right? That, that's, what, that's why the, that contrast is so pitched. And so Nathaniel is a man that's committed to integrity and honesty. It was something that he kept quiet, a strong private conviction by which he led his life in conduct. This was not something he trumpeted or marketed about himself. It was a hidden inner quality he cultivated away from human eyes. And now Jesus was calling him out in a way that no man had done before. Nathaniel is stunned. He is so stunned. He says, how do you know me? To which Jesus says, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So now get this. He goes from being unengaged and apathetic sitting under the tree in order to keep cool from the hot, arid Galilean day, to all of a sudden being known and seen. Whereas previously, Nathaniel was not partaking of the figs over his head. Figs were now raining down from heaven. As David said in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Nathaniel was experiencing a rapid transformation like a sunflower perking up from the rain 
Or like the Egyptian slave boy spoken of in 1 Samuel 30 who got revived. I guess I didn't include this verse, but I'll just speak it to you. David, King David was battling the Amalekites and his soldiers went and found this Egyptian slave boy in the field. And it says that they brought him to David and they gave him bread and they provided him water and they gave him pieces of fig cake and two clusters of raisin and he ate. Then his spirit revived. Prophetic words are like figs. They have reviving power. They move us from being weak and dry and defeated to being strong and nourished. And as we're going to see shortly here, Nathaniel's conversion under the fig tree was not by chance. It was a teaching tool to help him grow as a disciple. But let's come back a moment to this feeling of being known and seen. We're created to be known and seen by God. This is how God intended it. This is a picture of Adam and Eve in the garden, naked and unashamed before the fall. Fully and completely known by God. Completely transparent down to their nakedness. It's one of the most powerful emotions that we can experience as humans. There's no greater feeling than for someone to know us completely and thoroughly and deeply. It makes us feel alive. We've all experienced the horrible feeling of sharing the depths of our heart, being super vulnerable, and the person listening doesn't get it, or worse yet, minimizes us or makes fun of us. We feel humiliated. And if we're not known or seen or heard in life, we feel alone in a sea by ourselves. Life doesn't have much meaning. We're not journeying with anyone, no one to share life with. But when we, we are known, that's getting back to how God made us. That's what God wants us to have. Ben Goodman, who's going to be coming, um, was with me in ministry in a church one time. And as a candidate came up and we we're praying over them, he said this words to this young sister, the father loves you. I thought, okay, well, that's a good opening, solidly biblical. But the girl just started breaking down and weeping. And he said, the father loves you. To be honest, I said to myself, well, that's true, but it's not super profound. But anyways, <laughs> this girl keeps on sobbing. And, and so anyways, he develops the word. It was so powerful. At the end, she got up and she said, you don't know what that phrase meant to me because my father and I have been separated for 20 years and I found him on Facebook and I just reconciled with him last week. God knows us. God, you see into my life and all the things that I've gone through. And now you're speaking and confirming. Mimi and I have done ministry in different churches and different countries. One time she had this little beautiful picture of a man that we were praying for, of a red and a blue car, race car. And the guy just looked up and he was stunned. He goes, how do you know I have a red car and a blue car? Well, this happened to be in Tokyo. For those of you who have seen the movie Tokyo Drift, he had two of those kinds of cars. He was like, oh, wow. And he's still serving the Lord to this day, in part because he felt so known and seen by God. I was ministering to a couple in a church, and I had this very unusual picture come to me. 
and it was a picture of a frog. Ooh, I was working through a translator, and so the, the phrase was, you are like a frog. And the translator is like, I can't say that. So I understand Mandarin, and she says, you're like sheep. And I said, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> I, you need to tell them you're like a frog. And so when I said you were like a frog, the entire congregation started laughing. Well, I didn't know if I made a big mistake because this was a, a terrible picture. But it turns out the reason why they were laughing is because this couple had gone through a very difficult engagement time. And many people were against the marriage. But she saw her husband as a frog that was a prince on the inside. And as a gift on their wedding day, she gave her husband a little frog statue that was on their bedstand. <laughs> One little picture and they felt so known and seen by God. When I was 24 years old, and I was just getting introduced to just how the Holy Spirit moved, this one leader prayed for me. He said, you're going to absolutely be a leader. Do not copy anyone. At that time, I wasn't in ministry. I was still doing science. I was still doing research. And I really took encouragement from that because, you know, as you're growing in the Lord, you're trying to find your identity. And so I was like, okay, God, you've called me to be a leader. Don't copy anyone else. Now, here's something really fun that connects to this word that was given to me. 30 years later, I received the results of a Myers-Briggs test. And, you know, Myers-Briggs are 16 personalities. And um, the results came out that of the 16 personalities, I was an architect. I was, in the way that the Myers-Briggs works, you're one that, you know, um, has these ability to see the big picture and you build things. Well, beyond that, God had called me into church planting and the word in the Greek for a master builder, a church planter is architectnon. So it's, it's amazing how God knows the little intimate details in our life and he speaks to us in such a personal way. And being seen and known by God is a spiritual and emotional foundation he wants all of us to have as his followers. Otherwise, how, we, how can we tell others of his goodness? Beloved of all people in the earth, we are most blessed because we have a God that knows and sees us. We love God because he first loved us. Nathaniel felt God's radical love for him and thus loved Jesus back radically. Because look what happens next. Nathanael said to Jesus, you are the son of God and the king of Israel. Now, wasn't it just a few minutes earlier that he said of Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's the power of being known and seen. It transforms our heart. Nathanael is now a believer. He's birthed into the kingdom. He is a disciple. The greatest miracle under heaven, becoming saved. This was a change of heart. The old order of cynicism and skepticism and doubt came tumbling down like the walls of Jericho. And in its place, a new order of belief and joy and worship came into being. That's why I said last, last week, Gen Y and Gen Z needs a touch from God. They need to be known and seen. And when they do, they can be like Nathaniel. And in a moment's seconds, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I'm ready to reverse my course. No longer will I sit under this tree and be apathetic and passive. All because of a prophetic word 
that Nathanael received. Well, as it turns out, Nathanael would also become one of the 12 disciples. He would join his friend Philip as one of the select 12. For those of you that are astute students, in the three Gospels leading up to John, which are referred to as the Synoptic Gospels, Nathanael is referred to as Bartholomew. But in John, Nathanael is Bartholomew. But it doesn't stop here. Not only is he birthed into the kingdom, Jesus says some other very encouraging things to him. So he says, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. How many want to see greater things? God has greater things for every single one of you. I don't care how embattled you feel or how heavy you feel, God has greater things for you. And Jesus said that in 51, you will see greater, the, uh, you will see greater things. Truly I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, our discipleship will grow stronger and deeper through the knowledge of God. The heavens will open. God will open our understanding and the spirit of wisdom and revelation will come upon us about the Lord. We will get to know Jesus better and deeper with each passing day. We become changed from one degree of glory to another. So as Nathaniel reflected back on his conversion, he may have well realized God's invisible hand at work in his life. Whether you're here this morning, whether you're listening online, maybe you're getting close to God, or whether you're far away, God's invisible hand is working in your life. And this is what happened with Nathaniel, that he was converted under a fig tree was no coincidence. It was divinely orchestrated because the fig tree in the Bible symbolizes some key foundational truths for all believers. I'm going to call out three things. The first is that the fig tree is a symbol of God's covering and protection over your life. In 1 Kings chapter 4, the Bible says that Judah and Israel lived in safety, referring to being under King Solomon's reign. Judah and Israel lived in safety, every man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. There was peace. There was protection. There was a sense of just the shalom of God. Micah 4.4, 4, the prophet says, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. We feel happy when we're safe and protected from harm. Think of all the places in the world right now where people are living in harm's way because of famine or wars, violence, unrest, persecution. They have no fig trees. But in Jesus, we have God's supernatural, Psalm 91, protection over our lives. Fear not, for I am with you. That's what Isaiah says in chapter 41. David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now catch that. The shadow of death, not death. For many of us, we feel like, oh no, death is on me. You know what? It's just the shadow. Makes you feel like death is there. Feels like death is knocking on the door, but it's just the shadow. Jesus said in Matthew 29, 20, after the Great Commission, how does he end it? And lo, I am always with you. Papa God is with us. This is the fig tree protection. Another thing that we see 
is that the fig tree is a symbol of your destiny and calling. God has a promised land for each of us. In Deuteronomy 8, when Moses is addressing the nation of Israel before they go into the promised land, he says to them, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, land of streams, of fountains, springs, flowing in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines, fig trees. There it is. Pomegranates, olive oil, honey. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Numbers 13, similar idea. When the spies went in to see, is this a place that we should go to? Is this going to be a good spot? They came from the valley of Eshkol. And from there, they cut off a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two men and with some of the pomegranates, the figs. So they're coming back to the nation of Israel and they're waiting with bated breath for the report. Is this a good place or not? And they've got the pomegranates and the figs. Yeah, look how good this land is. Figs are a picture of our promised land. We all have a destiny and call to enter into. Some of you are going to hear prophetic words related to your call, related to your destiny, related to your purpose. There's nothing like knowing why God put us on earth. One of the things that happened for us when we came back from London, personally for me, was fresh clarity about why God put me on planet earth. I wrote this personal statement for myself, from my journal. Starting churches is my contribution to helping people get strong and healthy in a world that has gone crazy. It's my way of helping a dozen people or hundreds or thousands of people. It matters not the number. The key is it's a way for me to tangibly help people get anchored in Jesus. This is what I'm living for. The verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6 has been burning inside of me. The apostle Paul says, we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. That's a sobering thought. We cannot take anything with us. Our money, our cars, our homes, our degrees, our clothing, our purses, our shoes. Nothing. We will be bare. But the riches that we can take with us is what we do with our life. That which we bring between and we do from the time we we're born to the time we die. How will we impact people and how will we walk in God's will? That's what you're going to take to heaven. Nothing else. This is what our promised land is about. Understanding that purpose that God has for you. And when you walk in it, how sweet it is. Because the figs are just sumptuous. Third thing here is that the fig tree is a symbol of dead religion that God has replaced with grace. Fig trees are considered the oldest tree ever planted. It's the third tree named in the garden after the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Of all the trees in the garden, it's the only named tree. There's no pine tree. There's no oak tree. There's no Douglas fir. None of those trees are named. Only the fig tree is named. And the fig tree is unique because it puts forth its fruit before its leaves. That, that seems backwards, but it puts forth its fruit before its leaves. 
In other words, the fruit of grace is always there first so we don't have to reach for leaves, which is a picture of works. Remember what Adam and Eve did when they fell? They reached for the fig leaves. That's why Jesus cursed the fig tree when he went to the cross. Matthew chapter 21. I've always wondered, why would Jesus curse a tree? And it was just cursed right down to its roots. And then I had understanding under, you know, with the insight about what the fig tree represents. That we are saved and sustained by grace, not by our own human works. The fig tree points us to the great doctrine of grace. And grace is central to how we live and move and have our being as disciples. Amen? Well, from these examples, we see how significant fig trees are in scriptures. They represent foundational truths for our walk. And Nathaniel was sitting right under this teaching tree. Perfect start to his new beginning. So we come to part four. And in the context of our presbytery, think of Philip as he's looking at his friend's newfound faith. He must have been thrilled out of his mind. My friend knows why now I am so excited. The revolution just grew by one. I had no idea that Jesus was going to prophesy to my friend. And look at him now. He is a wreck. He's on fire. He's unstoppable. And then later when both of them are called to be part of the 12, they get to be buddies in kingdom work. What a presbytery meeting this was. Jesus and Philip and Nathaniel. I imagine in my mind Philip hearkening back to this moment at various times with Nathaniel when things got tough. Nathaniel, we made the right decision following Jesus, didn't we? This is no walk in the park. But man, remember when Jesus saw right into your core, right into your heart? This is why we do what we do. That camaraderie, that joy, that shared experience is part of what makes Presbytery so exciting and such a family event. At the back there, um, as you go out, for those that have signed up to possibly receive a word, have a couple sheets of paper that will help you prepare for our weekend. I'm going to touch on a few of those things right now before we close. There's a, a corporate preparation, and we need to come expectantly. Come to worship. Come with a spirit of agreement. By the way, do you know why we have public prayer meetings as opposed to just praying in your own room? The reason why we have public prayer meetings is that when you're with others in a room, you get to agree with them. That's the power of agreement that Jesus is looking for. Where two or more are gathered together. Yes, go into your room and pray. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. But also, gather together and agree together. Because God is looking for agreement between heaven and earth. So don't think of it as, oh, I pray. I pray on my own. I pray when I walk to work. I pray in my car. That is awesome. That's part of your prayer assignment. The other part is praying with others so that you can agree together. That's why God calls us together. So when we're here in the service, we may be silent because we're listening, but there's a spirit of agreement that's within us. When you hear something over a friend and it just tickles you, you can say amen or you can laugh or cry. Hug the different candidates after the settings. 
Pray that God King, God's kingdom comes to our members and to the church corporately. Pray for the prophetic team, that they have insight and revelation, little details and big details. We want there to be a high tide of worship and anticipation. And come every night if possible, because this is not just about you getting a word. Pray for John and the elders as they steward these meetings. As exciting as it is, it's extremely exhausting for us. You know what the most exhausting part is? Many people don't get words in our pastoral hearts. Oh, gosh, I wish we had more time. So pray that they have wisdom on how to steward the meeting. Matthew chapter 10, verse 41. This is an important verse for us to be mindful of. It gets on the, uh, on the handout. I didn't put it on the slide. But Matthew chapter 10, verse 41, the scripture says, Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous man as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Now, generally speaking, we're really good at part B. If that's a righteous man, that's a godly man, that's a teacher, that's an evangelist. Oh, we welcome him. Come and speak to us. But we also want to be good in part A, where we receive the prophetic so that we can receive a prophet's reward. Amen? Now, in terms of the logistics, there's going to be chairs on stage. There's going to be Kleenex. There's going to be songs in between settings. The settings might be as long as 15 to 30 minutes. Because when you have three prophets and the revelation is flowing, they have a lot of wonderful things to say. It might be one prophet. It might be all three. We're going to let them be led by the Holy Spirit. And besides these formal settings, there also may be what we call popcorn prophecies in order that more people can get exposed where people will come up in terms of fives or tens and the prophets will just speak something quickly over you. All the prophecies will be recorded, but make sure to bring up your smartphone as a backup so that you can record it. Many times people want to listen to it right away. Like after you take a photo, you want to look at the picture right away. Same kind of thing. Like you want to go home, you want to listen to it that night, and the staff may not be able to get the recording to you right away. And then after the setting, there will be a pastoral blessing that's spoken over them. Now as candidates, obviously... We want to see that you are saved, water baptized, baptized in the Holy Spirit. You've been through E1. Generally in the past, we've had the requirement that you've been in the church for one year. Why for one year? So we as the pastoral team can know who you are and walk you through the word that you get. You're not some anonymous person walking off the street. You get some word and then you're gone. But because of uh, the growth of the church and new members coming since COVID's been lifted, we're going to go by case by case, and John and the elders won't necessarily hold hard fast to that one-year rule. Of course, we want you to be in good standing, and God can break any of these guidelines if the Holy Spirit quickens the prophets. Understand as well, these are not counseling sessions. John is not going to say, man, I have a really tough time with member X. I'm going to put them up in front of the prophets and let them solve this problem. That's not going to happen. This is not a counseling session. As tempted as we might be to do that, we are not looking for them to speak in that way. Also, if you have an unbelieving or non-attending spouse, um, typically that's not a good time to get a word. You might be engaged and you want you and your 
engaged to come up at the same time. That's also not a time for both of you to come up. Again, for wisdom's sake, sometimes there are things that are spoken and it can be very, um, yeah, very disrupting. So we want to make sure that those things are, are settled properly. I also want you to know that we don't tell the prophets anything. That's part of the supernatural aspect of this. We're not feeding them information. They are completely walking in and just wanting to speak God's heart to you in a supernatural way. In terms of individual preparation, again, these handouts are for you at the back of the church. Um, Seek God with concerted prayer, three days with fasting if you feel led. It's a time to evaluate your life, but not limited to. Evaluate your life in terms of your walk with God, your priorities, what you feel God has called you to, your giftings, direction in life. It's time to purify yourself, get things right with God if there's anything that's unresolved. Prepare your heart like Mary did. Lord, speak to me as you would. Come with an attitude of humility and submission. Come with an attitude of joy and thanksgiving. And then surrender your expectations to God. We all have things. Oh man, I wish God would come and speak to me about my next spouse. I wish God would speak to me about my next job promotion. Know your expectations and then surrender them. God may not speak to you as you want. Because Jesus said in John 16, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. In China and Asia, I deal a lot with people who have gone through the whole fortune-telling culture. And I say to them, how would you feel if I told you the day you die and how you're going to die? How many here would like to hear that information? None of us. That's crushing. I don't want to know the day I'm going to die. And so Jesus deliberately holds back information from us for our good. But a fortune teller doesn't do that. So this is not about fortune telling. This is about the Spirit of God coming to build us up. It's exciting stuff. It's part of how the Lord disciples us. Ruth, are you here? You want to come up just for a second? I just, I know this Sunday and then next Sunday, John is going to have a couple testimonies. I want Ruth to just share a little bit. As someone who's been here from the beginning and seen many different uh, presbyteries, I just wanted to share a, a quick testimony. Oh, boy. Okay, so um, I think for Eugene, and, oh, for Eugene and I, we received the words together. <laughs> I'm told to move on. Yeah, and I think the first thing was just it was overwhelming. Uh, we felt God's love, and then that, like Pastor talked about, being known and being seen was so amazing. Um, I think what it did for me was... Um, it changed my identity in a sense. Like I, I know we talk about identity a lot, but literally, you know, I think we, when we live in the world, we, our culture, the worldly ways, we become citizens of the world. But God sees us as citizens of heaven and citizens of the kingdom, and that is very true. Um, I was, you know, able to overcome things like fear, doubt not good enough, inferiority complex, and never good enough. And, 
you know, all those things. And slowly, like it doesn't happen overnight, but it's, it is a sanctification, but God gives us the power to do that. Um, and the uh, prophecy that was spoken over us, uh, Eugene and I, uh, it was 2004. And every single word has come to pass except one. And so this one is still ongoing. Um, and I, I just remember when we first uh, received it, and for the next several weeks, I, I think what I can describe that feeling is like maybe like Moses came down from the mountain and he was radiant, and then he was just something about him that there's this aura around him, but not like we had it, but we felt like that, just walking around, just feeling like, oh, I, can't, I can't believe God said that about me. But that's not me. Like, how am I going to live it, live that out? You know. And but those words just stayed with us. And it's not fortune telling for sure, absolutely not. But God is pointing us to something better, something greater. Like Pastor just preached on. Um, it's a guidance, is a direction, and uh, it kind of sets us on a trajectory that perhaps we would not have thought about going that route. And so if we have to make decisions, and like, so now and then we kind of go, oh yeah, I think maybe we should take a look at our presbytery again and see what it says. So there's just so much, so much to it uh, about the, the word that God gives us that really sustains us and it blesses us. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Ruth. It really is that fig tree um, experience that we've seen here through the story of Nathaniel. Let's just finish with this verse, then Alex will come up. Coming back to this foundational passage, you know, Paul was encouraging Timothy to, best, to be the best disciple that he could be, encouraging him in his discipleship journey, his growth. And part of that was to remind him of the precious prophetic words that were given to him. And so Presbytery Weekend is part of God's equipping, encouraging and strengthening of us as disciples of Jesus. So Lord, we pray that you continue to build expectation and momentum, continue to build our understanding. Lord, as we prepare our hearts, may your voice just become very clear in our ear. And as we come together, may we just hear those words of confirmation, those words of revelation, Father God, that causes us to come alive in a way that we never expected, just as we saw with Nathaniel. We thank you, God, for building us up as disciples, we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we sang earlier, Jaira, which means, Lord, my provider. And it's such an amazing name because, you know, we see so many time and time again where the Lord provides through the Bible and he provides in our lives. You have the ram for Abraham and Isaac. You have Jesus coming for all of us. But he doesn't want to just provide food, shelter. You know, those are the things we ask for, right? But he also wants to provide into our, our spirit, into our emotions. He wants to connect with us. And the Lord wants to build us in trust and friendship. And, you know, you look at our human friendships. They, they often take time to build to that level of trust. But sometimes they often happen really quickly when there's a connection. And those connections are usually when we like something similar or when we know something about each other. We've gone through an experience together. These are the things that, that gather us to and connect to each other. You know, 
And it's, you know, as you get to be friends, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever done this or for a spouse where you find that perfect gift. And it's never about the money. It's never about how much it costs. It means so much to them because it says that you know them, right? You understand them. They didn't have to ask for it. And, and this is what the Lord does and uses the prophetic to do is he speaks into our lives. And what he wants to do is accelerate that connection. He's waiting. He's sitting there. It's, it's all on us. And so he wants to show you how well he knows you. You know, we, we say the words, but they don't always sink in. You know, God loves you. Why did that emotionally connect to that woman? Because that was the time and the place and God put some impetus behind those words. And so, you know, I just want to, you know, just echo off what Rich was saying. You know, these words give us such impetus and they, and they, but I also want to say, you know, these words don't come for the passive. They're not something that we get to, to listen to and say, well, I, I don't agree with that or, eh, I, I didn't like that word. When God gives you a word, it's going to start making changes. So be prepared for the changes. You, you'll never meet Jesus and leave that meeting as the same person. And so, you know, these words are not, not for the inactive. They're not just going to solve your problems. These words don't just connect everything in your life. You have this epiphany and it's clear sailing from here on out. They will require you to step out and be bold. They're going to require you to accept that God is saying something about yourself that you maybe don't yet believe, but you're going to come to that place of believing because he's never spoken an untrue word yet. You may not be there yet, but sometimes these words are for the future. Sometimes these are, you know, I always tell people, my words are often like carrots on the stick right in front of me. I just keep grabbing for it. He just kind of keeps riding my back and moving it further ahead. And... You know, you could be frustrated by that or you could say, God, you know me so well because you know I'm going for that carrot. You put a sports ball or a carrot in front of me, I'm going straight for it. Actually, maybe not a carrot, but a donut, probably. <laughs> but anyways, the, the Lord is going to take these words, but, you know, we that sense of expectation needs to be there. But that sense of softening ourselves, you know, don't don't come with an expectation of the Lord's going to say this about me. We got to really prepare ourselves, Lord. You speak your truth because we are all filled with levels of, of untruth, things we've believed from the world, things we've believed from our friends telling us, maybe even things our parents told us. But when the Lord says something about us, we can know it's the truth and we can then stand on it. It becomes a foundation for how we then get discipled, for how we then move into ministry and how we then help other people find that same connection to the Lord. So, Lord, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are in this place. Lord, how amazing is it, Lord, that you are here, that you love us, that you gather when we gather, Lord, that you want to speak to each one of us personally. And so, Lord, this morning we just declare that your way is better. Lord, we ask that you take away our tradition, that you take away our religion, Lord, and that you just give us love and faith in you, Lord, that you give us personal connection to you. And Lord, we just pray that you would just put your word on our heart, Lord, that your word would be just the foundation and anchor for how we process and how we just love upon you.
And so, Lord, yeah, we just declare this morning, your way is better. And we just ask that as we go forth this morning, Lord, you would just bless us, that you would just work in our lives, work in our workplaces, work as we're commuting, Lord. Just speak to us, Lord, so that every day we're just on that marathon and that sprint to being more like your son. Amen.